0: The Wildlife Observer Network. Hello, this is Tony from the Urban Wildlife Podcast. I have an interview with Joanna and Byron Chin about their work with urban nesting hearman's goals in Seaside, California. This interview got a little off to a weird start because I ill-advised, decided to comment about outside cats on a neighborhood message board on Facebook, which got me blown up by all the cat fanatics and i didn't realize that even if i shut off facebook on my computer my computer would still ding every time i got an announcement so uh, you'll hear some dings although i think i effectively silenced that conversation but i got a couple other um Ding! So this is a new thing that, uh, I'm learning as to how to silence Facebook when I conduct an interview via Skype recording on my Zoom recorder. And speaking of Zoom recorder, that Zoom recorder was partially purchased by our Patreon supporters. So we do have Patreon, we do have, you know, we have the Urban Wildlife Podcast on Facebook, and Urban Wildlife Cast on Twitter, and all the other social medias. So we hope that you will... Rate us highly, that you'll like our videos. Oh, I just announced something by accident. So we are also going to be on YouTube soon. So whether or not this is released before or after our YouTube channel, we're going to have a YouTube channel. But it's going to be called the Wildlife Observation Network. So keep your eyes peeled and ears pierced for that. So without further ado, here is Joanna and Byron Chin. Welcome to the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Thank you. I would Thank like you to introduce yourselves and start by telling me about your project. Now, true confession, the goal that you do such great work with, I don't, I can't recall, I've seen a bunch of them out west, but I can't recall if I've ever heard someone pronounce the name out loud, like definitively. So I, I'm not sure if it's Hermans or... Herman's gull. So I would love to. I don't want to. I want to hear you say it first before I go halfway through the interview saying it incorrectly.
1: All right, uh, it is Herman's gull.
2: Often mispronounced as Herman's gull or misspelled as Herman's gull.
0: So this gull, until you you're in Oceanside, where you where you live in like the
1: seaside,
0: seaside. So until this population was discovered breeding. Seaside, there was no known population in the United States, only in Mexico. Is that correct?
1: Only in Mexico.
0: So, this gull breeds in Mexico, but it wanders up the coast. And so, who found the, the population? Where were they nesting? And how did you get involved?
1: Sure. So, the original. Um Nesting population was found by a birder in Monterey named Dan, uh, Don, Don. sorry, Don Roberson. Um, And he originally found the gulls in 1999 when he was at Roberts Lake in Seaside and was looking on these artificial islands that the city had put in place. And I can get a little more into the history and why they did that. Um, And there was an island near the um, sort of what would that be? Southwestern western end of the lake.
0: Yeah.
1: Where um, all the vegetation was dying off. And he spotted three Heerman's Gulls nests with chicks. And this had never been described before, never been noticed before. Um, he wrote it up. He actually wrote a book on the birds of Monterey. Uh, and if you look up Heerman's Gull, he's got a picture of uh, the, one of the nests with a near fledgling chick from 1999 and he kept an eye on this uh, island. And over the course of the next few years, they had sort of middling success. They got disrupted by, I think, Canada geese won a couple of years. Uh, And eventually that man-made island sank into the lake. It was supposed to have been held together by um, tree roots and uh, all the trees and vegetation died. And so the sandy soil just sort of washed away. And after that, no one was really tracking them to see what happened to them.
0: And and so, and they were nesting on McDonald's. Is that true? They were okay. so. And that was before were, or after the
1: lake. That was long after the lake. So the islands in the lake disintegrated in 2009.
2: About well, 2007 or so. 2007. Yeah, they were okay. largely
1: gone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and the birds were then spotted, I want to say, in 20, oh, is it 2012, 2013. This was all before we hit the scene. Um, and they were nesting atop a warehouse that's actually owned by Reggie Jackson, uh, Mr. October, the uh, famous baseball player. He keeps his classic cars there. Uh, and they nested there successfully for several years until he figured out that there were seagulls on his roof. Uh, and in 2016, put a net up over active nests with eggs. Like 2017. 2017? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 2017. Uh, which, of course, is totally illegal, but um, no one really did anything. Fish and wildlife were notified, but no one... Uh, no one
2: took any action. No one
1: took any action. They didn't go out and collect evidence, and it all just sort of... Yeah.
2: yeah, and then once it was there, it's canola. Uh, you know, it's it's in place and it can't can't do much in the in subsequent years. So they tried again briefly. At least they tried to stake out territories on that building in twenty eighteen, and
1: then they moved
2: on. And right around when we were watching that was right around when we got involved, and we are just yeah, we got we, involved in twenty eighteen. Yes, twenty eighteen. And we are just. And I guess we might as well introduce ourselves too <laughs> we That's are not cool. scientists we are, we are scientists. well we are scientists we are not ornithologists not in my day job i am actually a lawyer, and, and joanna is a pediatrician and we are birders and we would often take trips to, we are we live in we actually live about i guess uh, an hour and a half north of seaside we are in the east bay of san francisco and we took trips regularly down the Monterey. And one day we heard a rumor that there might be uh human skulls nesting around. And so we started looking or walking around the city to see if we could find them. And, um, that's how we happened upon them.
1: Yeah. Um, and as to the, the rooftop nesting, um, we initially discovered them, um, largely with the use of Byron's drone, um, which we use very carefully, of course, around nesting birds, Um, and he can get into that more. Of course, our daughter just woke up. She doesn't nap well, (laughs) I hope we can get her settled. Um, But we found them nesting on the McDonald's, I wanna say about a month or so before, tragedy struck and from the looks of things the birds had been nesting on top of the mcdonald's for a while it was one of these roofs with um a a sunken area with the kind of walls around it so you couldn't see what they were doing um from the ground but um we we flew the drone up one day nice and high and you could see just so much bird poop i mean this was not the result of a single year's worth of nesting. I think they've probably been up there for some time and no one had noticed. Um, but then on July, was it July 5th, I must say? No, it was June 5th of 2018, a drunk driver slammed into the side of the McDonald's building at 5 a.m. and hit the uh, gas and electrical connections on the building And uh, that was the end of that. The McDonald's went up in flames. Everyone in the cars and uh, or the car in the McDonald's miraculously survived. But, of course, the the nests were all toast Uh, and all the adult gulls survived. um, But they didn't re-nest again that year.
0: And so you then at what point did you get the idea to restart the art to put in the artificial um, net? Uh, nest platforms or the the floating platforms in the lake
1: yeah it was around that time we realized that the number of rooftop nesting sites that were available to them had become few enough that we were like well what's going to happen you know they don't really have any protections on on rooftops you know we'd already had the you know um the warehouse rooftop netted off by Reggie Jackson. Um, They had also tried to nest on the adjacent rooftop that belongs to a building called Spas by the Bay. The owner there was lovely. He loved the bells. They nested on his roof for a few years, and he thought they were cool. But it's a low enough roof that a predator was able to climb up, we think probably a raccoon, and it killed the chicks uh, in 2018 as well. Um, So we were like, geez, you know... (laughs) They're, they're running out of, of space here. And we'd love to get an island back in the lake. And the only thing that made any sense was to make a floating island because obviously an island made of fill. If you tried to put it back in, it would meet the same fate. It would just erode away. Um And if you planted it, the gulls won't like it because they don't want vegetated nesting grounds. They want their kind of sandy, gravelly soil.
0: That is... I think it's just it's like so remarkable that you, how how proactive you are for, with this. Um, it's such a it's such a unique situation, and to to be able to come up with this inventive solution, I, I just think you know. I just when I saw you post about this, I was just like, "This is so cool!" And I, I mean, I'm just a big fan of what you're doing. So, what are you seeing in terms of results and? Is this the first year that you with the artificial platforms? How was the nest? How the nesting go?
1: So, we haven't had it out for a nesting season yet. Um, we met with a few uh, bureaucratic delays with the city. Um, overall, the city of Seaside has been absolutely remarkable with this project. Um, they have been so helpful. Um, just they're really into it too. Um, and when we started, we started with. Literally a box of moldy old documents, like they've been in storage and have gotten water damage. Because so I wanted to understand what had happened even before we knew about the um, the gulls nesting, and before 1999. Like, had they been there longer? And I, I actually found evidence that they had been there long, they did biological surveys after putting in the nesting islands. And from 1990 through 1994, the five-year period that they did the surveys, they noted human gulls in breeding plumage in like May and June every single year. They shouldn't be there in May and June. <laughs> they should be in Mexico. So it makes me wonder has this colony been clandestinely breeding in the area for even longer than we know about? Um, So anyway, we we got the island out um, in late April of last year, or this year, I'm sorry, God, time flies. Um, And it was too late for them to nest on it because they start prospecting in like February, March, uh, typically build their nests in like April, Lay their eggs in late April to early May, with hatching around the beginning of June. Um, so we were we were out too late for them this year, which is a nice. We've been able to kind of troubleshoot. We have a trail camera to take pictures, um, and we wanted to um, see you know what's going on out there. We wanted to prototype some um, chick hides and kind of some structure because they tend to like to build their nests in corners and kind of sheltered spaces and We wanted to see how everything held up in this kind of hostile brackish coastal environment, um, but this coming year is going to be the first one where we hope to get gulls nesting. Um, so we're crossing our fingers. That
0: that is really cool. Um, how much like time are you like of your free time? I know you have a child now, but. Like, how often are you out there? How many, what's the scope of the volunteer situation?
1: So we have partnered with uh, Monterey Audubon. They have been amazing, fantastically supportive, um, both financially and also um, helping out with volunteer time, with kind of getting the word out, um, with, with sort of giving us some some legit support here so we're not just a couple of randos putting things in the lake, you know, <laughs> Um, so we've had folks from Monterey Audubon come, there's a group called Sustainable Seaside that we gave a talk to, um, and they came out in force to help us with the initial launch of the island and, um, and also for some kind of maintenance visits along the way. We've had people who found us through our Facebook and Instagram who have come out to, to give us a hand. The community response has really been phenomenal. Um, and as to how much time we've spent, I, I don't even think I can count the hours. It's been a lot. But it is, it is a labor of love.
0: Now, are, are other species um, use, using these platforms as well?
1: So with are... our trail camera, we have, been, we have been monitoring what's been going on, and we've gotten a lot of visitors. Um, we've had uh, great blue heron who like to hang out in the evenings. We've had a green heron visit, we've had a snowy egret, a black eb that likes to land on the trail camera and go chase bugs from there. Um, We have had a single Canada goose, which we we don't want to encourage the Canada geese because they were impediments to the human skulls nesting in the past. Um, So we do have a fence around it, but we had one intrepid individual who flew onto it, looked around, didn't find anything to its liking, and left again. And lately we have had a family of Western gulls uh, who nested on the Hampton Inn that's across the street from the lake. Um, They hatched one chick this year and they and their fledged chick like to come and the adults feed the chick on the island. Now, this is all cute and fun to watch, but we're really hopeful that when it comes to nesting season, they don't decide that the island looks better than their old nesting site. Because if we get a Western gull, they're very aggressive in defending their territory, and they will likely try to chase off any human skulls. So, we're going to have to keep a real close eye on that situation. Fortunately, they're not roosting on the island overnight, so we think they're just using it as a convenient eating spot for their giant baby.
0: So, let's, um, we should have brought this earlier, let's um, talk about human skulls in general. Uh, can you t- walk us through? A brief description of the bird, where they normally breed, any any notes on their feeding ecology or whatnot.
1: Sure. So uh, the hermit's gull is is kind of a a, a smallish to medium sized gull. They are um, they're really beautiful. They have kind of dark gray bodies, white heads and breeding plumage with red beaks and black legs. They're they're pretty unmistakable. During the off season, their heads go from bright white to uh, kind of uh, gray speckle. Um, they nest largely in small islands off the coast of Mexico. Uh, one island in particular is in um, the Gulf of California. It's called Isla Raza, and it is this tiny, less than a quarter of a square mile flat island that um, about 95% of the human gulls population in the world breeds on. It's also the main site for the Elegant Tern. A lot of them breed there as well. And then there's small populations of the gull on other small islands in the area. And they're weird in that they do kind of a reverse migration. They fly south for the spring and summer to breed. And in the winter season, they head back north, uh, as far north as southern British Columbia. So you see them all along the west coast um, in the off season
0: and um is there any indication of why they've come north to climate change is it anything besides speculation um is there any this is the only known colony but uh, do you suspect that they're in other areas
1: that is a very good question so as far as why they've come north climate change is definitely a consideration um, in the last several years, the humans gulls have had a number of years where they've had almost total breeding failure. Um, it's been due to a lack of food. Every time there's a strong El Nino event or the blob, that big uh, mass of warm water in the Pacific, it drives the forage fish that the gulls feed on either into deeper, cooler waters or into cooler waters elsewhere. So the gulls show up, On most of them on Raza, and look around. There's no food. They don't nest. They come back up early. So if you see human gulls cruising up the coast in you know June or July, it's a real bad sign. And I want to say they they've had almost total breeding failure for something like four out of the last six years. Um, so it's been it's been a rough road for them. And as to other colonies, um, we don't know of any. I have looked on eBird to see where might have a similar distribution pattern like Seaside did. Because if you looked at Seasides and kind of the Monterey eBird reports, you would see Heerman's Gulls showing up when there shouldn't have been Heerman's Gulls. And La Jolla down in San Diego has a similar eBird profile for the Heerman's Gull. Now, I live way too far away to go check that out. But is it possible that there could be human skull breeding on rooftops in la jolla sure they're pretty stealthy when they're breeding do you
0: know do they breed on man-made structures in mexico are they only on natural substrate
1: as far as we know they are only on natural substrate we do not have any knowledge of any other urban human skulls colonies
0: are there um roof nesting goals of other species in your area
1: Absolutely, the Western Gulls.
0: So what's your your plan moving forward? Um, Are you going to expand your operations? Do you want to put them in other areas in town or in neighboring cities? Or just keep this one going? I mean, which is fine. I'm just curious if you have any.
1: Sure. So our, our first goal is obviously to attract the Gulls. Uh, (laughs) we're trying to make as nice a habitat for them as we possibly can based on what they've liked in the the past. Um, Once we attract them to our island, we've got decoys out, we're going to put a sound system out and start playing their calls, hopefully by like late January, early February, um, to see if we can't get their attention, see if we can't get them on the island. We wouldn't expect them to be scouting out at all because the skulls, unlike the Westerns, pay no attention to their breeding grounds in the off-season. The Western gulls will kind of show up, they'll hang around, they'll hold the territory year-round, but the Hearmans, once they're done with those chicks wedge, they're out until next season. They do not come back. So we won't know until next, you know, late winter, early spring if they're gonna come back or come at all. Um, and as for if, if we are successful and if we get a lot of gulls on the island, it is a modular design so that more uh, space can be added to it. So we would probably look to expand the current island um, because it's a, little, it's a little tough to figure out where other appropriate sites might be because it would have to be somewhere that was predator-proof um, and that people would want gulls. And not everyone is charitable toward gulls, unfortunately. Or the smell. Yeah, yeah, they do, they smell a little like a seabird colony, you know.
0: I can imagine. Is there um, um, indications that the Herman's gold population overall's down um, due to the, the, the reasons that might want them to relocate their colonies or, or to look for um, colonies closer to where their food sources has moved? Is the population in in Mexico um, down? You know.
1: That is also a good question. We have been in touch with Enrique Velarde, who is a professor at the University of um, Veracruz in Mexico. She is the preeminent uh, researcher of Hiramon skulls and elegant terns. She spends like every breeding season on Raza to keep an eye on them. So far as we know, the overall population is relatively stable. But if this trend of bird reading continues year after year after year, they will obviously decline.
0: Yeah, and that's just... I was saw a great lecture the other night about um, problems, you know, birds face um, in winter. And mm-hmm. the uh, one of the problems with climate change is birds are now getting out of sync with their food sources. And he was talking about how when birds migrate back to their traditional breeding colonies in the North Atlantic, mm-hmm. the young fish that have spawned are now farther north, and they can't. And so the colonies are no longer within, um, you know, uh, a few foraging hours this. foraging. The, exactly foraging this is That's yeah. what I'm struggling for. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's um, you know, just very tragic. So it sounds like. But it's interesting, the West Coast compared to the east coast you have um colder water farther south but yet warmer temperatures <laughs> at the, like it's milder yeah. at, at the west coast but the water's colder you don't have as, as a severe winter it's it's so, so different from what we deal with the east coast we don't have you know um I mean, we have turns and skimmers out out here but we don't have um alcids and and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh you know um all right you know, gannets and whatnot are much farther north so it's interesting that you have these birds you, out east we th- just think as northern species breeding all the way down into baja mexico um so it's just, it's really and it's just fascinating and interesting how the currents and everything work it is and then yeah. you, you just put a little bit of a monkey wrench in that and everything goes haywire
1: yeah and what's interesting about the human bells and seaside is in on the monterey peninsula like food is not an issue the bay is of food for them and so even just talking with dr velarde um, there are differences in their nesting successes so apparently on raza three chick nests are very uncommon like they may lay three eggs but not all three chicks are going to survive because there's not enough food but in the seaside colony three chick nests are kind of like about 50 of them and they have two chicken one chick from are the rest and they usually fled all three chicks and they're fat Food is not the issue. So they're, they're dealing with an entirely different set of, of circumstances compared to their, um, you know, the their main colony.
0: So I started this conversation um, admitting um, with you and I didn't record this, but I. We started with a little technical difficulties and also mental difficulties, because we started this where I, I had ill-advised, started a cat argument on Facebook and <laughs> yes. which led me to be getting all these notifications of all these um cat fanatics um blowing me up on Facebook. And so A that got me distracted and B I had to uh follow I had to figure out how to um silence the alerts, which I think I may have only done for one conversation, but another conversation <laughs> I has got, gotta for well, but regardless. Worry. I forgot
1: because the kid woke up, yes. so you know.
0: No, I I, f- <laughs> I forget whether or not I did a proper introduction and got your 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 names. Did I, did I do that? And if not, let's no. do that. Okay, please tell me your your names. So, so you yeah, everybody I, introduce yourselves and.
1: Of course, I'm I'm Joanna Chin. I'm
2: Byron
0: Chin. Great. So I, I might just actually inter- you know in post introduce you, but I just want to make sure I have that just in case. <laughs> I'm sorry, of like, I, I feel like yep. it's funny. It, We've doing this for a while, but I don't. um, It's only been recently that we kind of made an informal studio. We um, were actually have, um, before we we would record, we had a Skype recorder on the computer and then we would also have a, um, we would use Google Voice. Um, but now we actually have it where I actually plug things directly into a, um, a multi-track recorder from my computer. And so it, it never occurred to me that I'd be dealing <laughs> with Facebook notifications from... <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is when I get these arguments, I just, often I just post Um episode like links to episodes that we've covered with cats because yep we actually literally one or we had two-part episode where we go through all the literature on both sides and 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 then recently there's one up with um um travis um i forgot his last name he lives out um in los angeles who's currently suing city of los angeles about their cat we
1: heard that
2: episode
0: (laughs) that's awesome
1: we are we are finally in your corner no yeah. outdoor we have a cat, we love our cat, no outdoor cats, and where they are feral eradicate
0: yeah yeah that's that's my uh my uh um, <laughs> I have a cat I took my cat from the outside and uh um I found it in my park and it's it's i mean i i i love my i love this cat like i can't I can't believe how I feel about this animal i mean it, it's yeah, I used to be a dog person, but then you know I had some girlfriends with cats, and I kind of got used to. Uh, being around cats, and then I was like, well, maybe i get my own cat. And then um, my, when my wife and I moved in together, her cat just – her cat died two weeks before we moved in together. And my oh. cat died two weeks after, and then uh, we went catless for a little while. We took a cat in um, from the outside that uh, our, our friends were like, oh, this is cat. This is a gorgeous tortoise show outside all day, every day. Take it. We took it to get fixed. It was already fixed and chipped, and we ha- oh. and, and they wouldn't <laughs> – and they wouldn't give the cat back to me. They're like, it, 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 I was like, but it violated the rules of your oh. adoption. Like the same place we took it to was one who chipped it, and it, and it's against the rules to let a cat back outside. And yet they they made us give it back. And I said, well, tell them that I know where this cat hangs out, and if it comes back out again, I'm gonna, they're never gonna get it back. And I had, yeah. and and I guess they keep it aside now. But luckily, that cat was was okay. The cat I got. Is like, the, is like a living teddy bear. I just pick him up and carry him around the house Aww. all day. He's the sweetest cat in the world. And he was chipped too, but it turns out that his owner d- died. So I assume whoever inherited Aww. him just dumped him. So, uh, so it's funny. Uh, People think we're cat um, haters because we, you know, but it's, pra- it's just pragmatism. But we've covered this yep. uh, quite enough. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I've been at um, meetings in my bird club where I'm sitting at a table with all these, you know, incredible ornithologists and we all agree about cat outside cats and you know, that we, they should be euthanized like it's just pragmatic and, and yet we all own cats so <laughs> yes. um is there in my distraction and my technical difficulties is there any aspect of your work that i missed that we definitely got to cover before we wrap this up
1: i think it would be real nice if Byron could talk a little bit about the use of his drone uh, to find yes. the Kierman skulls on the rooftop. Because without it, we would never have known about the McDonalds. We would never have known about the Holiday Inn. Like there are so many sites that are really sheltered from view from the ground. You would never know because they're really they're they're kind of quiet and keep and, and to themselves. And unless you sit there for you know half an hour and watch for the feeding flights to go in, you you'd never know they were nesting.
2: And you did. And I guess, uh, I mean, an interesting aspect of it is most of the press you see about drones and birds is negative. Mm-hmm. It's about people It's a, uh, people flying drones too close to nesting sites, which is a serious issue. Actually, in Monterey Bay, they are having a real problem with uh, people flying too close to black oyster catchers who will chase after the drone and, and often abandon their nest. But this is a bit they have tremendous scientific value when they're used properly. And I actually became a drone pilot last year because of this project. <laughs> and this all started when we were standing by the McDonald's and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to see what is actually going on on that? And so I got, I bought a drone, managed not to crash it. And it was a Mavic camera drone. And I, I, Also, thinking—I mean, part of part of it is also you really have to understand seabird behavior to actually fly safely around seabirds. But since then, I've become—I've gotten my commercial drone certification, and we—I would say we've done the vast majority of our nest counting has been by drone. It's by flying a small and quiet camera drone, relatively high above, and watching the gun. Watching the gulls at all times to make sure they're not being bothered
1: or harassed by it. But, I always act as a spotter. You got to know your species because they'll they'll tell you they're agitated before they yeah. start charging at your at your drone. And
2: western gulls seem to hate drones a lot more than hermit gulls. <laughs> I've never had a hearman's gull chase a drone. I mean, granted, I fly, I'm flying about uh, about 125 or more feet above them, but only western gulls will chase after it, and then you'll. <sighs> will see uh, an angry bird circling up and trying to get at your girl. Of course, if you ascend, you can out it. So it's been an incredibly valuable tool and we actually, uh, it turns out a lot of researchers are using them for very very, uh, varied purposes and and we talked to a bunch of them at the Pacific Seabird Conference. So I think it's been one of our most vital tools in discovering where they are and what
1: they're doing and especially your habitat that diversity. and I also got to give a shout out to the Pacific Seabird group um, they are a group of, of seabird researchers who even though we are not seabird researchers um, they have really embraced us and have given us so much help and support as far as how to utilize social attraction um, and and just general like networking and, and kind of figuring out what how we're going to bring this forward. Um, they've been amazing.
0: Now with the, the drone, you now, mm-hmm. we have a, a, Byron, you are a lawyer. Yes. So I know that you're going to have done everything legally to make sure to fly the drone. Can you walk me through that? Um, what you had to yeah. go through to be sure that the, is there permits, is there a fish wildlife service involved? Um, could you explain that?
2: So there are two, there are two law lo- and the drone regulations are and I had to do the lawyer caveat that this is uh, my opinion, not legal advice. But, <laughs> um, but the, the drone regulations are, are ever changing. They're still trying to figure out how to you know who controls the airspace, and who regulates it. And so far, the FAA has said you know that they they, they control anything that's basically above once your feet are not sent to the ground. And so there are two levels of drone or two levels of certification for drone pilots, and currently most people, if you buy a drone and go out and fly, you're supposed to fly under the hobbyist rules. And a big gray area is whether, I mean, if you're flying to, like, take real estate photos or do, uh, you know, something where you're making money, that you, the FAA wants you to have a commercial drone pilot license. That's actually what I have, and that requires a bunch of studying, learning how to read aeronautical charts, and understanding uh, basically all the limited, many limitations, and also how to get F. a get an uh, air traffic and so on and so forth. And the question is whether wildlife conservation needs to be flown under uh, what under commercial that commercial license, a part one hundred seven license, or you can get a waiver otherwise. So. I, erring on the side of caution, I, I got, I initially flew the hobbyist and just happened to see some human skulls in my flights, and then oh about God. a month in, a, a couple of months in, I uh, went and got, and got certified. The exam oh good for a couple of years. And, yeah, so that, that is, uh, what go, that, that, I guess at a high level, what goes into what you have to do to fly legitimately with it. As a, drone, as a
1: wildlife,
0: resource. can you walk us through some best practices for anybody who uh, yeah. wants to use drones for wildlife monitoring? Can you give us some, you know, tips for how to do, how to do the observations without disturbing the birds and and and, yeah. and whatnot? So, what we usually we
2: what's really helpful is we always we always we always. Uh, fly as a team and Joanna always I always have visual spotter which is Joanna with her binoculars and a lot of that I think one of the most important things that's one of the most important skills to have as a wildlife research drone pilot is an understanding of bird behavior and that's and and also knowing how different species react because you can see that that gives you that often gives by having someone keeping eyes on the birds you often get warning cues long before they attack. Them. And that's, I mean, the, the worst case scenario, <laughs> which I've, I've never had, and no one, and everyone should avoid is having a bird versus drone collision. Cause you're having a bunch of really sharp propeller blades with lots of kinetic energy and an angry bird. And to avoid getting there, you, we usually fly, the model drone actually makes a very big difference. I, uh, fly a Mavic 2 Pro, which is a small folding drone with a fairly large camera on it, but I've also tried out much larger drones as well. I was hoping to slap a big zoom lens on it and view the, and get some closer shots of the gulls. but it's, as it turns out, the bigger drone is so loud and so conspicuous, they see it the moment it takes off, no matter how far you away it is. And so I think that, I mean, ultimately the goal is to be as quiet and inconspicuous as there, there's been some interesting research that the more a drone looks like a bird, the more likely the birds are going to be pissed off by it and attack it. So actually quadcopters and hexacopters look absolutely nothing like a bird, and they're less likely to be bothered by it. And actually, and, and as far as the gulls go, we've found that they are actually pretty tolerant of drones most of the year, except uh, during the nesting season, as you would expect they're much more vigilant and much more likely to try to chase something out of the habitat. So it's, um, it's a, it's a very, it, it's a very useful
0: research tool,
2: but it has to be you know, utilized very good force.
0: So in Philly, um, we have a bunch of peregrines that nest on buildings mm-hmm. and near where I live in the city, um, there's a church that overlooks the river and yep. on the steeple peregrines nest there. And, it's actually great. We actually have, there's a pizza place so we can look directly up at the peregrines. Um, And we, friends of mine get together every year and do that. And I do a program where we have, I work for Parks and Rec. We have a rec center that you can look Uh straight across. This is a great thing. And so we're really attached to these peregrines and one of them um, got killed this year.
2: Oh, no. Um,
0: And it was after the breeding season, luckily. The, the, it, it made the papers and everything and people are thinking that it, died because it uh had an interaction with a drone, so it yeah, got me wondering if birds are if are there different drones let me try to articulate this if a bird is being d- does attack a drone yeah is it are the propellers a danger to the bird or are there models of drones that well that's not an issue so that so I would
2: say all of the pre- every single present model of drone has exposed propellers, uh, or any model that you can fly outdoors simply has exposed propellers, and therefore is some some degree of risk to a bird. I would say the really the big ones are probably the most dangerous because the blades are bigger and there's simply more kinetic energy, and, and the very large ones have uh, have killed people when they crash into them because they're so large and powerful. Um, I did when I was initially researching drones and my first concern was bird safety and I was hoping to get something that had fully shrouded and protected blades and my first drone which was a Mavic Pro you could actually get this thing called the propeller cages which were actually bolt on uh, cages for your propellers the problem with that is that it is horrendously loud so the birds notice it it uh cuts the drone speed in half so you can't actually escape from an attacking bird. And it acts as a giant sail, so especially in, uh, with these uh, pelagic environments, you, that significantly increases the risk of you having your drone blown out to sea without being able to recover. So I would say right now, a lot of uh, safe droning just depends on keeping a safe distance and being really alert as to uh, what, what birds are doing. and. I mean, unfortunately, if you look on YouTube, you can see all kinds of uh, videos of, pe- of people with questionable judgment flying drones way too close or getting chased up close by an angry doll because they flew too close to me, say.
0: So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not I wasn't trying to, like I believe we should employ all tools we can and, and responsibly. Yeah. I'm not just in general in life, I'm, I'm not a President believes in like banning things. I believe, you know, well, right now I'm dealing with people um, who I love and respect that want to ban the, the use of, of glyphosate in, 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 mm-hmm. in, in, in Philadelphia. And I'm like, well, it's an extremely important tool for, um, yeah, uh, land management. And and you're going to, so I'm all for best practices rather than, yeah. you know, banning and, 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 you know, I, so in a democracy everything is messy so i'm i'm i hope i don't come off like i was pooing your use of drones i think it's a phenomenal thing you're doing
2: i i think we're on the same page and i think yeah it's a it's a yeah it's a double-edged sword it's a absolutely vital research tool and can be exceedingly dangerous used in especially used by i mean frankly yeah i characterize it as a Instagram influencers trying to get that beautiful beach shot when not paying any attention to the angry dolls trying to take the drone down.
0: So, moving forward with my um, podcast, um, I'm not sure exactly Mm -hmm. when it's going to be released, but we uh, are actually starting um, a venture called the Wildlife Observation Network. and so It's funny, we started the podcast uh, I always joke, Billy and I, my partner in a podcast, he came to me and was like, I want to do a podcast about urban wildlife in Philadelphia. And I was like, that is far too narrow. Um, it should be, let's either do urban wildlife worldwide or wildlife in the Philadelphia general region from the, from the mountains to the ocean, you know, because we're, we're an hour from the mountains, an hour from the ocean. And so that's what we did, urban wildlife worldwide. But even though it's wider than our original idea, it's still a very niche um, topic. And so we yeah. have... Decided that we're going to expand our podcasts to include many different wildlife-related topics, and we're also going to start a YouTube channel. So this is all should be launched uh, around January 1st. So with that said, if you have any photos uh, that you can share with me – Oh, do
1: we ever. Oh, yeah. Or
0: (laughs) any video footage – uh, I'd love to have that to accompany, you know, the, because this, this one will probably be actually released as well on, you know, YouTube. Sometimes the YouTube channel yeah. sh- is going to be just audio with a picture, but it might, if we can, you know, we have to, do, we're, le- we're learning as we go, we might actually, you know, display. So if you could provide any any video or, or photos, it would be fantastic.
2: Oh, I, I, you may have opened the floodgates.
0: <laughs>
1: <we> have, but... <laughs> probably thousands of photos. And, yeah. And- and many many videos. And of-
2: hey, what we have is basically a uh, two two re- basically research album or we document the colony both years, and we have a bunch of others. We have uh, basically a kind of a kind of a curated album that has on, I guess, the prettiest or most relevant pictures that we've used for a couple of slideshows and other things. And we have a few videos as well.
0: Yeah.
1: We can send you a link.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I'll send you a
0: link. So Fantastic.
1: All- and um, all the photos are Byron's. So he gets all the credit for that.
0: Well, we'll no, duly noted um, oh, well this is fantastic um, I hope someday to, to um, make my way out there and, uh, um, yeah. and link up in, with you and, 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 and see these colonies really and, um, yeah so, come, out, come out in the summer and... yeah that'd be great Although I I wonder, I don't know how much travel I'm going to be doing for a little while <laughs> oh
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it's funny like a I,
0: a or two. <laughs> we got a um, a um, a wedding coming up in... Uh... Oh, it's funny, and I gotta think. I think my declaration that I am expecting was before we recorded. So, by the way, uh, Urban Wildlife Podcast listeners, Tony is expecting a child to, in the end of June, um, if all goes well. So, my my friend's getting married in Montana in August, and we're so excited. And now I'm like, we might have a six week old <laughs> at that point. So I don't know if, if any of us can go, let alone her, you know, her and the baby. So we'll have to, to yeah. think about that. So, yeah, I hope the link, uh, you know, we're going to obviously stay in touch and I hope to um, get out there in, in the future. And again, if there's anything else you want to say, say it now. Otherwise uh, I think we have a great interview here. Uh,
1: oh, Phoebe wants hey, to Phoebe. weigh in yeah. too. That's a
0: great <laughs> final word.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, right? Yep. Well, really well, glad.
1: Thanks, thanks so much for, for yeah, our story.
0: and thanks for bearing with us. Oh, yes. my pleasure! Thanks, for me, because I got you know, I was as culpable as well. If I, you know, I got we got the news, and my wife's been very sick, and, and you know, it's been yeah. you know, oh, distracting, yeah. and and it just I think what you're doing is so cool, and I just wanted to make it happen no matter what. So I'm really glad we did. It was a real pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you in the future.
2: Sounds
0: Absolutely, great.
2: Thank, thank you so thank much. Thank you. My bye. Bye. <laughs>